podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Listen to the noise from Old Trafford after Manchester United beat Barcelona in the Europa League. Again, it felt like a Champions League game, like a fixture between two of Europe's best teams. And it certainly is a fixture between two of the European teams on their way, returning to titles and returning to greatness, maybe. Is this the start of something very good for Manchester United? It certainly feels like it. And it was a wonderful atmosphere in the second half and after full time and if I wasn't sitting down to speak to you now I think I'd have uh, a spring in my step welcome a very warm welcome to the Manchester United weekly podcast where we're still buzzing uh, less than a day after full time um, we're recording on Friday afternoon and Jack life feels good right now Life feels very good. Yeah, very good to be a, be a Man United fan. I mean, just a, such a famous night at Old Trafford. I've got to say, it feels almost a little weird the day after, and I, I felt this later on in the evening yesterday too, that this felt like such a monumentous win. And then you sort of realise that we're now in the Europa League last 16. Yeah. It felt more like a Champions League semi-final, honestly. Yeah, and also, I kind of had the opposite where... I came out bouncing of the Stratford end last night and everyone's singing about Wembley. And it's like the, this is what, I mean, this is the, the dream. It's one of, uh, potentially one of the great United weeks. I'm not, I'm not comparing it to, in yeah. achievement terms, because going through in Europa League and winning the League Cup, not in, but just as a, as a fan, certainly for this generation, it's one of the great weeks. And yeah, coming out bouncing in here in Wembley. And it's just, uh, this is, I mean, this is incredible. It's, it's it's brilliant but I just spoke to uh, I do I help Paddy Crowens every so often with his column for the match day programme and I wouldn't normally re-spout his opinion but I think it's worthwhile as a as a legend of the club and someone who's been watching every game for 60 70 years he said he thought this was the kind of the most significant victory post Sir Alex Ferguson not related to uh, genuinely winning a trophy in a final and I think that's probably right isn't it it just felt uh, we haven't beaten one of Europe's very best by taking the game to them for a long time and not only that but we went behind in both legs yeah in terms of the the standard of the opposition that we've beat I think really the only game that can compare would be the comeback against PSG in 2019 but I think that was even a little bit different because that felt that felt well firstly you know the goals were a little lucky in that game we got a slightly dubious penalty I think the first goal was a rebound from Lukaku and it felt like PSG handed us that game more than we won it and it was very much you know backs to the wall 
we probably went forward into PSG's half about four times in the entire game. This was not like that at all. You know, first half, Barca were certainly the better team, but we dominated that second half. You know, Barca had a couple of chances, Kunde and, and the one right at the end in stoppage time that Varane cleared off the line, but we were by far and away the better team in that second half and it wasn't done through just sitting back and hitting on the counter-attack. You know, we dominated the flow of the game. Like you said, we took the game to Barcelona in a way that I don't think United have been able to do really against any kind of top-level opposition since Sir Alex Ferguson left. And I think for that reason, it feels so significant because this was... A, a, an amazing sign that this team there's obviously still a long, a long way to go but we are able to compete and properly compete and go toe to toe with some of the best teams in Europe at the moment yeah and I did I watched Real Madrid's I mean it's been a great week hasn't it watching Real Madrid just absolutely spank Liverpool after they'd gone gone ahead earlier I like that I like that Ten Hag was, was yeah. very willing to bring up the Liverpool defeat to Madrid in his post game yeah, interviews I as well that. I had a good laugh at that. He's, a, he's having a good week, Ten Hag, in terms of little um, snippets in the press. We'll talk a little bit about what he said about Newcastle later when we preview that game. But yeah, that was that was very funny. But I did watch that and think, wow, we're still some way off Real Madrid, which is, it's a funny one, obviously, because Barcelona are eight points clear at the top of La Liga. We've just beaten them and I think deserve to beat them. And yet you look at Real Madrid and think, right, that's the... That's that's another level up, and I think we're still we are obviously still a few levels off. And there's questions in the Premier League that teams might set up slightly differently against United, how they'd set up against Arsenal and City, so we have a bit more space to play. And that was the challenge that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had and couldn't overcome, trying to break down teams who just relentlessly sat back against United. I have every confidence that Ten Hag will surmount that, that challenge, even in the late Sir Alex Ferguson years. We. We lost to Bayern Munich. We lost to Real Madrid in 2013. We lost when, to Barca twice in two finals. Yeah, when we came up against Barcelona, we were beaten by them. It's it's one of the it's one of the great recent wins in Europe. I, I, I do mean very recent, but it's one of the great recent European wins. And yeah, it was it was one for it was it was it was odd after they went ahead. Bruno Fernandez is obviously pulling him to give away that penalty, and he gives the referee an option. But it's one of those where the players running away from goal right in the corner of the area and you think is a is a penalty kick a free a free kick from 12 yards really the a suitable punishment here I think it probably was a foul it just felt a completely unjust punishment for, for what the foul was and the atmosphere up to that point had been great it had been building from about 15 minutes before kickoff the music uh, the, the music has been We've spoken about this before. The music's been turned off 15 minutes before most games this season, but it was advertised much more this time. It was good. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, any better, I'd say, than City or Liverpool or Arsenal or a, a variety of other games, despite the kind of pre-match build-up. But it was good, and then it really took a. It really took a hit after they went ahead, and it required United to come out for the second half and and perform to get it going again. And then it was incredible, but there was there was a good. 30, 40 minutes where it just had that feeling of another Spanish team are going to come to Old Trafford, benefit from a yeah. decision and just hold it out as they always do. But Ten Hag makes what was the What was that mood like in in the stadium? Like You mentioned that it sort of went, a, not a bit flat, but the mood sort of turned a little bit after the penalty went in. What was it like when United came out for the second half? Obviously, we scored only a couple of minutes in, which lifted everything. Yeah. What was it like in the stadium when United came out from half time? So it got, and then what you know, talk, just talk us through also like the scenes after 
you know, after we scored the second goal and after the game and everything. It took a... So, it, it, yeah, it got a bit flat after they scored. It, it maintained it for probably five or ten minutes after that. And then when United hadn't kind of really imposed themselves on the game in, in that next 10, 20 minutes, it was a bit flat and there wasn't that much to cheer about. It kept going and there were two TRA sections this time, one in the Stratford End and one right next to the Barcelona away fans who were also very good and travelled in louder and bigger numbers than I had expected. There was another section, 500 seats next to the, the Barcelona fans. When it when it was good, it was brilliant all around the stadium, but it was a bit flat and it, it only got going at certain points and a lot of the time it would be just be small sections of the ground singing. And then when the halftime whistle went, there's a sense of disappointment but as the players then came towards the tunnel, a sudden kind of roar of, right, come on, come on, lads, we can do this. And that's, that's one of the key changes, I think, because there's such a belief that this team can turn games around. And there's just such a general belief in this team that so as they came down the tunnel, they needed their heads lifting and they got it from a, a, yeah, a, a big old roar. And then when they came out for the second half, exactly the same kind of noise. Instantly, you could see that we were a better team and that rubbed off and, and the equaliser was, for it to come so quickly was brilliant because it, it would have dragged on painfully, I think. Um, and Fred, yeah, Fred did brilliantly. Um, and the celebrate, we, maybe we'll, let's get onto the second goal when we talk about that, but the celebration for the equaliser were, were wonderful, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, yeah, it's just kind of euphoria, isn't it? But Fred, The thing I noticed as well in the stadium, just watching from afar, after the game, like I don't think I've ever seen so many United fans stay behind yeah. after a game, not only to, you know, serenade the players and the managers they're walking you off, but, believe. you know, Robin Van Persie's getting sung as his, he's on the sideline yeah. for BT. Like, it seemed like pretty much the entire Stretford end had stayed in the stadium just, it, for like half an hour after You just the game. don't want to leave because why would you? It's, it's just, it's just pure kind of, Cloud Nine sailing on absolute euphoria. Why would, why on earth would you want to leave a place like that? And eventually do because you know you're going to get thrown out in five minutes. So you might as well move on and, and bounce into the pub and, and carry things on. But yeah, the second goal was just, I mean, words, words hardly do it justice, don't it? I remember the City game, it was, I, I would say, I don't think it was any different to the City or the Liverpool games and I actually said it, it feels amazing to beat Barcelona but in terms of atmosphere and buzz I think the derby was probably bigger and better for me I don't know whether that was because it was a daytime game and because you then had a long time after to really let it soak in it wasn't nighttime, or because it was a derby and a local rivals and, and maybe because we went in we went behind when we played quite well and etc. So maybe that, I, I felt that was just a little level above. But in terms of, yeah, you, you just felt the significance. And I think this took a while to sink in. I was saying about half an hour to mates, after to my mates in the pub, just I don't think this, this has sunk in yet. And maybe it hasn't yet. But yeah, the second goal was, was incredible. It's just bodies flying. And I, I was sat, I've mentioned this a couple of times before, but I particularly like my seat moves just a little bit between the blocks of in the lower tier of Stretford End between about five blocks each game in tier A section and I particularly love when I can look across the Stretford End and up at tier two and just take a moment to see limbs and faces and embraces and 
it's just it's my favourite site in the world. It, it it doesn't get better than that. Fred scoring a massively important goal. He's a he's a United hero now. Fred only scores big goals, pretty much. Yeah. I feel like every time Fred pops up, it's either in a big game or or a winning goal. Well, here's my question to you then: Is Fred Manchester United's 2023 Jisung Park? I, I think in 2023, yes. I, I think the issue, yeah, I think that's the issue with, and this isn't Fred's fault, by the way. The issue has been: imagine if Jisung Park was United's best midfield option for five years beforehand. Like that, that that's where it's been an issue yeah. with Fred. Like yeah. he should be a, a G Sung Park role kind of player, and that's what he has been in the last or the, most of this season. The issue has been that we've been too reliant on him, and he he just doesn't have the game to be a sort of controlling type of midfielder. This is the kind of game that's perfect for him. It's the kind of game that was always perfect for G Sung Park. I mean, the the job that Fred did on De Jong, and I think Ten Hag said after the game that he wanted Fred on De Jong like a mosquito. It reminded me of. When we played, was it, I think the semi-final in 07 against AC Milan, when yeah. Alex Ferguson the, just said to Jason Park, don't be more than two yards of Andrea Pirlo the entire game. Yeah, I mean, that is the, the same kind of role and Park would always pop up with these kind of goals too. It, yeah. it was the perfect kind of game I think that's what made me think Fred. of it. I think Park, is, Park was a much tidier player. Fred's a much yeah, looser definitely. player. So it's not to say, I don't think they're that similar players. But in terms of role in the team, this is Fred's role and it should be going forward. He is, you can just see how he, he's, he's central to the squad in that Ericsson gets injured and he comes in for a few weeks. And yeah, it, it, I don't, it, whereas Park, I think was more consistent and more reliable. Fred can have bad games, but I think generally that's when he's being asked to do a role that he's not fully comfortable with. And he had that role further forward and he was, yeah. he was brilliant. It, it, I just mean he's core to the squad because he's happy being that in that park role uh, he's not going to rock the boat and he, he's a, a crucial rotation option but also coming up with the goals that he has in the last 18 months or so is is so valuable and especially when you think about the the Portuguese speaking core as well so you've got Bruno Fernandes and Dallo but also the, the Brazilians Casemiro, Anthony and Fred that's a proper core part of the team and yeah, Fred is is just a, a crucial piece of the of the jigsaw at United as well. So I think it's fair to uh, he. I think he is our it, it, many differences, but I think he is our Jisung Park of of today. In big games, I don't think there's many in in certain types of big games. Anyway, especially games where there's quite a bit of chaos, a lot of transitional moments. I think there are few midfielders probably in the world, honestly, that you'd want over Fred in those kind of scenarios because he is just so good at being, without meaning to put his game in such simple terms, he is so good at just being a nuisance. <laughs> and and sometimes that's exactly that was, what yeah, you need. That's the word I was thinking of. There are plenty of midfielders I'd want ahead of him. I think I better clear that up, even in those moments. But I, I agree, he's great to have because he's just a, a little nuisance. In terms of what changed between the first and second half, you will know better than me. But Vekos came off, it was clear that wasn't working. And we spoke about this in the episode earlier in the week that it's becoming, Ten Hag's changes are becoming more obviously brilliant. And again, he read the game and made the perfect change. Yeah, and I, and I think this is you know becoming a big sort of pattern, especially in recent times, that Ten Hag, he just understands the flow and the state of games incredibly well and incredibly quickly. So first half, I think I think the big thing that changed was both in possession and out of possession, I think there was a big change. Out of possession, what kept happening in the first half 
was United were quite aggressive in our press. And I think thought the front four actually pressed quite well. We had obviously, Bruno, Veghorst, Rashford and Sancho. I think we put Barca, their backline and Busquets under a decent amount of pressure. The issue, though, was that we would sort of narrow, the wingers would come inside, push onto the centre-backs, and then the full-backs wouldn't jump onto the, the full-back, on, Barcelona's full-back on the same side of the pitch. So that out-ball was always there. It was very similar, actually, to what we talked about from the first half of the Leicester game, too. Kind of the same kind of issue. The adjustment in the second half was that I don't think, even though we were winning the ball back higher up the pitch, I actually don't think we were putting as much pressure on Barcelona's defence. We were in a much more kind of controlled defensive shape, which Anthony has always been very good at. We've talked about it all season, how good he is at, at improving our out-of-possession shape. And then we were really jumping onto Barcelona as soon as the ball moved into midfield. And that's where Fred really came into the game because he was so much more effective in that role. In possession, I think what really changed was Bar- we were we were struggling on our right-hand side, Barca's left, with Balde getting so far forward. So obviously where the penalty came from. And in transitional moments, obviously Bruno Fernandes not being a natural right winger, not having the pace of our other options like Anthony, we weren't able to take advantage of the fact that Balde was pushing so far up the pitch and Christensen was, was basically left playing as a, as a left-back for a lot of the game. There was one point in the first half, I don't know if you remember this, Harry, where Sancho picked up the ball. I, I can't remember what minute it was. But Sancho picked up the ball in the middle of the pitch in sort of a transitional moment. Sancho picks up the ball and, and tries to play a long sort of through ball out to the right-hand side and, and Bruno just gets outpaced by Christensen. You know, then in the second half, you bring Anthony on. We can start exploiting that ball over the top. Casemiro hit one through to Anthony where he tried to square it to Rashford and would have been an easy tap-in. That was the big thing, is that we started actually making Barcelona pay for that incredibly high line and taking advantage of the fact that they were leaving a not particularly quick centre-back with 50 yards of space in behind him. So I think that was really the, the biggest difference. But it also, you know, it all comes back, it all stemmed back to we just didn't let Barcelona con- control the game. Because I think even if we'd have had Anthony on the right wing in that first half, I don't know if it would have made the same difference it did in the second, just because when you when Barcelona are controlling possession to the extent that they did, we weren't even able to, to attempt those kind of passes in the, in the first half. Yeah. I guess what, what what's probably the key in terms of us speaking about the these halftime changes that Ten Hag's making in the recent games is that the, the key thing is that he now has built a squad that he trusts rather than just the first team. Yeah. Because that was the limit back in autumn was... It, it was pretty clear that he didn't trust the players on his bench, didn't tr- trust the turns. And the other great sub was Garnacho, who... He did brilliantly when I he mean, came 18, on. I mean, 18, just... There was a moment where he played a 1-2, I think, inside with Fred and then crossed and Rashford left it for... I can't remember exactly, but I think that probably sparked an image in your head vaguely. Um, and me, my brother and my dad just turned to each other with that kind of... Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know when you see if, there's a there's a moment with young players where and and Garnacho is building these up and up. Um, I think the assist against City was probably the biggest one for me, but this one was this performance was was another under pressure against Barcelona, maintaining a lead and some of the quality he showed. You just thought, yeah, he's he really has got it. It was brilliant. The other moment that really stood out to me was when when he drew the yellow card yeah. from Busquets. He picks up the ball basically sort of halfway inside our own half and he's got three players around him he sort of takes it outside outside then inside of Kunde skins Busquets and has to uh, pull him back and draw a foul on the halfway line at that point I think we were, we were already leading by that point he buys us you know a couple of minutes of time wasting that that run and the ability to he spots space so well 
and I thought he came on obviously it didn't well he was involved in the build up to the second goal but I just thought he offered us such an out ball when we really needed it desperately and did really well to just help us get out and get up the pitch so many times in those, that last sort of 10 minutes yeah, or so there's so much else we could talk about Casemiro was amazing saving clearance or block yeah. of De Gea no one else makes that challenge um, that was just yeah incredible from him Varane's block at the end Martinez throughout was just brilliant I think we should talk for a minute just about like how good are Martinez and Varane I mean you can add Casemiro to that too I saw a tweet saying like the upgrade from Maguire Lindelof and McTominay last season to Casemiro Martinez and Varane now like I mean that, that those three alone is enough to transform a team yeah well I mean they are the transformative players. I yeah. think. I think Ericsson was was brilliant until he got injured, but I don't. I wouldn't call him a transformative player. Casemiro is the. I think Casemiro and Martinez are the key, and Varane yeah. has been brought back up to the level we knew he had by them. And he's and he's fit crucially. Yeah, yeah, he's been managed very well. But those two together, yeah, they're incredible. And and the the crowd and the and the team play off each other now because. Old Trafford and, and the away support as well can see when you see characters like Martinez and Casemiro and Varane how could he not just support his team for 90 minutes straight <laughs> it's uh, and I th- yeah. especially in the case of Varane and Casemiro too I think it's also like these are players that have won the Champions League what five times each or four times maybe in Varane's it's, case it's fear factor for the opposition as yeah well. but you, you see like you see them caring so much I think we mentioned this after the Chelsea game when Casemiro scored his late the equaliser mm. like you see these players that theoretically have almost no reason to care about a last 32 Europa League game and you see how much it means to them and I think that rubs off and on the team but also on every single United fan that sees that because it, it sort of underscores just how much every single game means to these guys Yeah, and that's the attitude that they've brought and we see it in every game yeah it's rubbed off on everyone else it's brilliant started the mind games early called Newcastle out on their time wasting in his press conference ahead of the game he's kind of asked subtly well not that subtly asked the referees to control it on Sunday very nicely done Eric um, superb uh, going back to the, the kind of the basic principles of mind games before a final and it's very good there was an interesting stat off the back of Ten Hag talking about that that says the ball's been in play during Newcastle games the second lowest of any side in the Premier League just 51 minutes on average per game it's, I mean we've all seen it we saw it when when we played them in the league back in October I think it was 
nil-nil draw. And that will be one of the keys. United need to, as Ten Hag says, United need to make it a quick game where there's not too many stoppages because that's where we come unstuck. And that's what we managed to stop Barcelona doing by A, scoring early, but also just keeping things going very quickly. And then we turned it on its head late on by going down for various injuries and etc. Yeah, I think, I think the key thing when you're playing a team that does that is not getting dragged down to that level. It's easy to to make the whole game feel quite flat and slow. But, you know, every, every time we have a set piece, you keep yeah. the tempo up and you sort of drag Newcastle back to our, our level, not the it's other also, way around. It's about leadership and you'd expect Harry Maguire not to start so Bruno Fernandes would be captain but it, you've got to be clever and, and kind of and this is what you, the United team's evolved but particularly Mourinho's Chelsea were very good at is rotating who's kind of berating the referee or the opposition so you're not getting yourselves into trouble but you're keeping that pressure on the ref up to keep things keep things going so at times it has to be Casemiro Varane Martinez whoever you always need someone getting in the ref's ear but it has to rotate so that not one person's getting punished and that, those are kind of the, the small things that help you to win finals and you can have every faith that they will be put in place it's, it's so exciting I can't wait going to be nervous yeah massive I think tomorrow I think the nerves will kick in yeah I'll be watching all of the, the regular like, Premier League games tomorrow though it, it just there's something about watching other I felt this even watching the Champions League games earlier this week before we played Barca there's something about watching other teams the day before a massive game for your own club it just because you start I, I don't know why it does this to me but I, you, I start thinking about what happens if we win what happens if we lose I'm going to be so upset I'm going to be so happy <laughs> and it just it sort of builds the the importance of the game up so much in your mind but I mean this is huge we said in the in the patron Q&A earlier this week we had that great question about which game would we ra- rather win and we we both said the League Cup final we'll see if we can win both that would that would be great but this is this is a massive massive game for United I said it, it might only be the League Cup but it this this feels like it could have such an impact on this team for the rest of the season I said to a mate Nathan and Kieran who I know sometimes listen to this after the match against Barcelona that as Ten Hag came over to the Stretford end at the end he was quite calm actually he obviously he celebrated the goals and we watched that back after it was great but as he was coming down the tunnel he was pretty calm I think he was just kind of it could because I think he was trying to give the give off the appearance of being calm ahead of Sunday but as he came over there was this sense that I felt I think everyone where he just thought I would kill for this man I would do anything <laughs> for him so to see him lift a trophy so early on in his United career on Sunday would be amazing I mean not only lifting a trophy so early on but literally lifting the first trophy that he could possibly have won you know like that is the kind of start that we want still fighting on four fronts sort of I don't really think we're in a title race but it's just like you said it's a truly like incredible week to be a United fan I think and if we go to Wembley win a trophy stop Newcastle winning a trophy as well there's so much to gain from this week for United and it would be it would it would be one of the best weeks like you said at the start it, it, in terms of achievement it doesn't come close to some of the things we've achieved before but in terms of the fan experience it's one of the best weeks certainly one of the best weeks we've had since Ferguson has retired and probably one of the best weeks for 20-30 years honestly yeah I can't wait one down one to go it's going to be a great day we should beat Newcastle you mentioned about Casemiro and Varane and I do think you have su- I have such faith in their ability and the resilience of this team now that even if 
we get a setback on Sunday. The key thing is Marcus Rashford's fitness. Yeah. And we're just going to have to wait and see on that. There's not too much point hypothesising about what we do with him or without him, but just all fingers, toes and every limb crossed in the hope that um, it's just a small knock and he can play. I think the big thing for me, like you mentioned about Casemiro Varane, and getting this team kind of mentally right for this game. Do you remember the the semi-final against Chelsea in 2020 when we lost 3-1? Well, I remember when Giroud scored. We we Mm. just played really badly all around. I don't see United with those players in the team putting in a performance like that in such a big stage. I'm not saying that that guarantees we're going to win. It's also that you have the faith it can, you've got the faith it will change at half-time. Because of the options, but also because of Ten Hag's management. Yeah, exactly. Like, obviously, that doesn't guarantee that we'll win by any means, but I've, I'm going into a final confident that, at the very least, we're not going to show up and we're not going to come to this final and not show up for the whole game. Yeah. And I think that is testament to how mentally this, this team has, has evolved. Yeah. Well, that's our preview of it. We better move on because we're going to be joined by a Newcastle fan, Aaron Stokes. So let's hear from him before we wrap up right at the end of the show. Okay, delighted to be joined by Aaron Stokes here, Newcastle fan and journalist. Aaron, first of all, can you introduce yourself to us? What's your role and uh, how long have you been supporting Newcastle for? Oh, well, I've been supporting Newcastle United all my life um, for my sins. Good at finally seeing them enjoying a bit of success. Um, and yeah, I'm the Newcastle United editor for the Newcastle Chronicle in the North East. I've done that for about a year now. Um, you know, some would say I'm a good luck charm. Um, and before that, I was at the Nationals. I, I did a bit of work for the Daily Mirror and the Daily Star. Um, but yeah, now I'm back in the northeast. As a as a fan rather than a journalist, what are your emotions ahead of Sunday? It's really difficult because you know I've, I've been covering the club for a couple of years now, and I, it's hard to sort of think like a fan. Or, you know, all my thoughts this week have just been right. We need to get this sorted and that sorted for Wembley and. Um, you know, trying to write about the club sort of objectively. But as a fan, you know, you're delighted. We've waited so many years for this to happen. Um, you know, we haven't obviously been at Wembley for a cup final since 99 when Manchester United, you know, beat us on that day. So for, for a, you know, a large part of the Newcastle United fan base, it's the first time they're ever going to experience Wembley. So it, it is fantastic. But yeah, I think the nerves will start building on Friday and, and Saturday. Yeah. On the subject of nerves, what are... Newcastle fans' main concerns right now? Obviously, goalkeeper is, I'd imagine, yeah. going to be one of them. But is there anything else? Yeah. Um, I think even before Saturday, before Nick Pope's red card, there was definitely concerns about the form. You know, Newcastle did so well at the start of the season. And then since the World Cup, they've, you know, they've stagnated a little bit. Um, they've only sort of scored three, sorry, they've only scored six goals in the league since Boxing Day. Three of those came on Boxing Day. Um you know, the defence looked shaky against Liverpool for the first 20 minutes for the first time really in a, in a good couple of months. Um, and look, you've just got to only look at that Manchester United team and what they're doing at the minute and, and Rashford's form and how well they're playing um, to know that Newcastle United are underdogs. Obviously, their task on Sunday has been made, made a lot harder by Nick Pope and you know, that one moment of madness, the first mistake he's made all season. And it's going to cost them, you know, a place at the final. But... Newcastle, maybe it's a good thing that they're underdogs. You know, the pressure's maybe off them a little bit. Um, 
obviously, you know, with Manchester United having to play Barcelona, there is maybe a slight advantage there, but it's going to be a tough game on Sunday, definitely. You mentioned Rashford. I was going to ask, as a as an opposition fan, what do you fear about Manchester United at the moment? Is is he the main? Yeah, look, I think he he's definitely the main the main issue at the moment. He just looks like he's enjoying you know, arguably the best period of form of his career. He just looks in that you know mood at the moment where whenever he's in front of goal, you sort of know he's going to score. Um, so that's a concern. I think Jaden Sancho coming back to form is another worry for Newcastle. Obviously, you know Bruno uh, Eric Ten Hag keeps you know sort of mixing it up and having Bruno out on the right, which I think again. Is, is probably not what Dan Byrne wants to see. And then, you know, if you go further back in the pitch, Casemiro just looks a class above. I mean, I can't believe people were writing him off after two or three games saying, you know, they've paid however much it was for a 30-year-old. But he just looks so, so comfortable in this Man United team already. Man United just looked a different animal with him in. And I think even at the back, you know, Luke Shaw's having a really good period of form. Lissandra Martinez has, has fitted in really, really well. Varane is obviously, you know, a top-class operator. So you, you look at that Man United team and you don't really see a weak link at the moment. Um, so, yeah, look, we need them to have an off day on Sunday, but it, it just looks, you know, the sort of mood they're in at the moment, they just keep grinding out results and, and wins. What do you think Newcastle's main strength is? <sighs> look, Bruno... Uh, Guimaraes coming back is a huge boost. You know, Newcastle haven't won this season um, when he hasn't played. He makes the, the team tick. Um, he just sort of galvanises the full group. His return will be huge for them. I think you've still got to look at that defence. I know that they've been a little bit shaky in recent weeks and that long record that they have of, of keeping clean sheets has gone. But, you know, they've still been performing really well. Botman and Chev have formed a fantastic partnership. Trippier is, you know, just a fantastic leader. Um and, you know, Alan Maxman had a really, really good game on Saturday against Liverpool. He's been in and out the team. He's been struggling for form, but he played really, really well on Saturday. And I think if he starts, which I hope he does, um, you know, I think it's it's the type of game that will suit him. And I think he'll be up for it. So there's certainly positives. Yes, you know, Newcastle's form in the last couple of weeks has, has tailed off a little bit. But we saw back in October, you know, they've proven this season they can match Man United. And I know that was obviously a different period of the season, but... I think Newcastle on their day, if everyone performs, you know, their best, I think they can make it a, a very, very tight affair. Yeah, so Maximum's one of those that we know what he is, but he's still kind of an unknown entity because you don't know the level to which he shows up, he could decide a game like yeah. that. And I guess Miguel Almiron can has been doing that all season, but so Maximum's kind of that. Oh. Uh, a bit of the fear factor that I I would have watching him. You mentioned the nil-nil draw. I remember um, describing it as uh, like a sneeze that never came for us. We were all just waiting for the goal to go in, in in discomfort. How do you remember that game? Because I remember it as a very defensive Newcastle performance with a couple of, uh, if I remember correctly, a couple of chances in the first half and then the second half was just an onslaught, which you defended really well. Is that that Eddie Howe's go-to tactic against the big teams? You know what it is? It isn't really, as Newcastle United fans, we've had years of, of Rafa Benitez who would set up teams really well defensively, but they wouldn't have too much going forward. Then we had Steve Bruce's teams who were just set up defensively, but weren't really good at defending. So, But Eddie Howe admittedly hasn't been like that. You know, we've seen, you know, they, they drew 3-3 with Manchester City this season. You know, they went to Anfield and really should have gotten a point at least. Um 
that game at Old Trafford and there was a game away at Brighton early in the season where Newcastle really had their backs against the wall but for the majority of games this season Newcastle have really given it a good go um, and I hope they do that on Sunday which I think they will um, but yeah I was at Old Trafford that day covering the game and I think you've, you've summed it up perfectly I think Newcastle had their opportunities in the first half I remember that that Callum Wilson foul which could have been a penalty on another day um, but then I also remember as you say backs against the wall second half um, I think it was Rashford missed a, a glorious header at the very end where he headed it wide um, and there was another chance as well where I think it was Fred maybe missed sort of an open goal um, and and there was so those two big chances at the end for Man United really should have have, have got the game for them but you know Castle I thought were quite you know good defensively that day um, so yeah hopefully you know they're that resilient on, on Sunday as well Yeah if I as a United fan going into the final it gives great confidence you met, mentioned Casemiro earlier and Rashford Varane as well that the character of those players rather than necessarily their quality which is uh, more more obvious because neither of our teams have played a final in a while we played in the Europa League in 2021 but it was very different without a proper atmosphere it was 10,000 or so inside the, the stadium in Gdansk do you have the same confidence in Newcastle that the squad can handle what will be a massive atmosphere given the two sets of supporters and if so which players give you that confidence I mean certainly Kieran Trippier you know the fact he's been there done it on, on the biggest stage Champions League finals Euro finals um, look they've got a lot of experienced heads in that dressing room you know Callum Wilson Fabian Scher, Dan Byrne. Yes, they haven't played in loads of finals, but they, they've got, you know, really good experience. Even, dare I say, Loris Karius. You know, people forget, I know that he's, he's obviously scored by that Champions League game, but in that run to the Champions League final, you know, he, he kept more clean sheets than any goalkeeper in the competition. So um, there's players in that squad that you look at and think, you know, they are going to know exactly what to expect. But as you've mentioned there, I mean, you know, Rafael Varane, I think, what was it, 13 finals and has he lost any of them? I, I'm not actually sure. Casemiro, you know, four or five Champions Leagues, uh, medals under his belt. Even the likes of Rashford, who's very, very young, um, has played for, you know, in finals with England and stuff like that. So um, Manchester United have probably got the better experience, but there is, you know, members of that Newcastle dressing room that you look at and think, you know, they are really going to have a big part to play. And Trippi is the key because he's obviously being the standing captain this season um, and he just he just manages to eke a little bit more out of the players when, when things aren't going too well. It's a, a very interesting time for both clubs in that Newcastle was sold by Mike Ashley 18 months ago. United are hoping to be sold in, in the coming months though I think there's a long way to go and the idea that, that we're definitely going to be sold by the Glazers is definitely not uh, confirmed especially with Liverpool's owners kind of backtracking in the last week or so. Newcastle was sold to Saudi Arabia. The most likely buyer of United would be their golf rivals, uh, Qatar. 18 months into this new Newcastle era, what are the feelings at the club? Um, look, it, it's such a difficult one because um, there is obviously with these takeovers, two sides to it. You've got, you know, the success that comes on the pitch, the, the change in feeling around the club. I mean, Newcastle United are, are now owned 80% by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund but very much the face of the operation has been Amanda Stavely and her husband um, they've made a lot of the decisions on the ground you know they've made some very very small changes at the club that have gone a long way you know changing the bar in the stadium 
cleaning the windows at the stadium. You, you won't believe me, but as Newcastle United fans, just the fact that the stadium is actually being cleaned. But also then you've got, you know, significant investment on the pitch, significant investment in the training ground um, and the stadium. It will do, you know, wonders for the club if, if Man United are sold to, to these buyers. But on the other hand, you know, I've spoken to many Newcastle United fans who say that they can't, you know, in good faith still support the club because, you know, they're, they're a member of the LGBTQ community and, you know, what does it sort of say when the club owners don't really respect them back in Saudi Arabia? It's such a difficult one. Um, I don't, you know, blame Newcastle United fans for still supporting the club. I would not blame Man United fans for supporting the club if the Qataris take over. It's not something that fans have a say in. But I just think, let's be honest about it, it is sports washing. You know, it's pure and simple. We saw it in Qatar with the World Cup. We've seen it here in the North East and as horrible as it is, money talks. And the fact that Newcastle United are in the running for the Champions League and they're reaching finals, that is more important to fans than anything else. And it shouldn't be like that, but that's just the way football is. So if this Manchester United deal goes through and look, they're already a, a football and powerhouse and with, you know, potentially a, a full state behind them, they're only going to get bigger. So it would be a, a very, very exciting time for the club. But there is moral issues that all of a sudden you, you've got to start to grapple with. Has there been, because I think from the face of it, the it's very easy to see the supporters who uh, have kind of been unchanged by this because the atmosphere at St. James has been brilliant and uh, all sorts of things done by war flags and all of these things. It's very easy to see that. Is there an underlying opposition that we people who aren't going to Newcastle every week or who don't know might not notice or is that not really there? Is it not being coordinated? Because the sense at United at the moment is we have had some amazing process campaigns in the past, including against the Glazers, but also against Rupert Murdoch in 98. It it doesn't feel like that's there this time. I think if I'm being completely honest, I think 95% of the fan base are, you know, they, they probably care what's happening in Saudi Arabia, but all they care about really in their heart of hearts is how well Newcastle United are doing. You've then probably got 5% who have, have tried to organise protests and, you know, wrote letters to MPs. And, and there was even a, a group of fans outside the stadium on Saturday before the Liverpool game doing a very, very small protest about, about a Saudi Arabian prisoner. But it, it's such a mountain to climb when you are, you know, one or 2% of a fan base and actually really... Have they chosen? I mean, there's never a wrong time to protest, but when the club are, you know, enjoying such a good journey on the pitch, is it a distraction that, you know, isn't needed? It's such a hard one. I I don't have any problem with anyone protesting. I I completely understand why people are doing it, but they are the, you know, very much a minority. And yes, you know, Newcastle United fans are aware of what's happening in Saudi Arabia, but I just think the football just comes first in this city. It's probably the same in Manchester. Um, and I think Manchester United fans look at, you'll know more than me, but I think seeing what they've done to try and get the Glazers out in a couple of years, I can't see there being, you know, the type of protests against the, the Qataris coming in because of, you know, what they've experienced the last couple of years. Yeah. In that sense, it's a very similar situation in that Mike Ashley was 14 years. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Glazers 17 years and so much of the protests. And this is, to be fair, this has been a, a concern with the Glazer protests for the last two years is we can't just protest Glazers out. It, there has to be, yeah. there has to be a solution as well as just a, a protest against the problem. And in the end, the people who said, care for what you wish for, 
may have been right, as, uh, yeah. as depressing as it sounds. Going back to the, the final, how long are you going to be down in London for and what's your prediction for the game? Um, we're, we're heading down uh, on Saturday morning, a couple of us here at the Chronicle. Um, we're heading down Saturday morning. We're going to go and do a live event um, in one of the Newcastle United pubs in um, near Trafalgar Square. And then, yeah, covering the game Sunday and then and then back to Newcastle Monday where hopefully we'll be planning for a, a trophy parade. Not too sure how... Uh, how well that prediction is going to come off, but in terms of game prediction, I've got I've got two predictions for you actually, and I'm going to go head and heart. So my head says I think Manchester United will just edge it, maybe two one. Um, my heart really wants it to be a draw in full time, a draw in extra time, and Loris Carrius to save three or four penalties to redeem himself after the Champions League final um, so that that would be the fairest hill ending for me but I, I think on, on paper Manchester United might just be a little, a little bit too strong for them I don't think there's any doubt that Karius is going to have a, a, a critic defying performance because yeah. he is as you mentioned yeah. earlier he's a good goalkeeper yeah he is and he, is. he was concussed in a Champions League final it's against one of the great Real Madrid teams and there was a mistake and then there was a, a keeper who clearly didn't look right so yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it's an unfair reputation. One that's been often very funny, but um, unfair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, yeah. Enjoy the game. It's going to be, it'll be a special atmosphere, won't it? Because I think as United fans, we're we're fairly spoiled in that our period of non-success, even in the last 10 years, we've seen us win Europa League, FA Cup, League Cup and been to a few more finals. But it does feel like, because it's the start of a, a new Eric Ten Hag era in yeah. quotation marks, um, it feels pretty special and the mood is so good. And then on the other side, you've got exactly the same. Whereas League Cup finals of the last five years, a lot of the time, have been relentlessly successful teams like yeah. City, Liverpool and, uh, and Chelsea. Yeah. This one could be pretty, this is exciting. Yeah, it is. And, and I mean, especially for Newcastle United fans, as I say, you know, they haven't been to a final since ninety nine. I think the last semi-final they were in before this year was 2005. So this is completely uncharted territory. And when you look at, you know, what Eddie Howe's done with this team and, and where they are on the league table as well, it would just be the, the icing on the cake to, you know, win a cup as well. But I think for a lot of Newcastle United fans, just the fact they've made it there to the final is enough for them. So, yeah, hopefully they're, they're still smiling on Sunday as well. Yeah, Wembley's always a great day out, regardless of the yeah. result. Um, anyway, enjoy the game. Thank you very much for coming on. It's much appreciated and a semi-good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much, Rich. Cheers. Okay, that was Aaron Stokes, Newcastle editor at The Chronicle. Thank you to him for coming on in what's a very busy week for any reporter covering one of these two clubs. Jack, final thoughts ahead of United's first final since the Europa League against Villarreal, which I noticed we forgot. When yeah, we I thought I was thinking it. that yesterday. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we were talking about how many European finals we said United have been in seven European finals, and neither of us remembered Villarreal at all. I think, which I'm I'm pretty pleased about. My my mind has done a good job. Um, yeah, I can say that speaks to how horrible yeah. that game was. Yeah. What are your final thoughts? Just why do we keep having to play Spanish opposition all the time? Because <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. uh, it's just a tough one, but. It's a competition that I think United alongside Arsenal are probably favourites for at this point. A competition that we should be going all out for, although winning the League Cup would massively take the pressure off how important the Europa League is. Are you going to be watching at home on Sunday or have you found a good bar in Chicago? There is a there is a good United supporters bar called Fado. I haven't decided where I'm going to watch it. We'll, we'll, we'll see how I feel on Sunday morning. 
Okay. Wherever you're watching it, enjoy it. It's gone to be. I'm guessing you'll be at Wembley. Yep. Thankfully, there was a slightly nervous wait for tickets because, you know, it got a very small, well, both teams got a small allocation of about 30,000, 32,000. And there were just a couple of hundred season ticket holders who missed out. Thankfully, I was not one of them. So, yes, I will have a ticket just behind the goal um, in block 111. So if anyone's in there, I'll see you there. And we should have a a great afternoon and a great day out in London. doesn't get much better than Wembley. Although being Barcelona comes close. And on that very, very happy note, as we continue to sail on cloud nine, thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. And yeah, goodbye. Network.